when his longtime publisher retired, writer Glenn Calhoun had a big decision to make, to find a new one or to enter the thorny world of self-publishing. The poet and children's writer has gone with the latter, and it's been a real crash course on issues that he never used to have to think about. Glenn's latest picture book for children is just out, and he joins me now to talk about it and the publishing life. Kia ora, Glenn. Kia Lynn, how are you? I'm very, very well, thank you so much. Well, let's start with your newest book, Beautiful Pictures book, uh, and you're, you're telling um, a kind of a universal and hopeful story in it. Yeah, I, uh, and I guess it's a story that, that grows out of my experience as a, as a Pākehā, um, being curious about te reo Māori and, and, and wondering about it, looking over the fence at it most of my life from from childhood on, and and learning to do a bad job of speaking it. Um, yeah. Um, What's the title? And then we'll get you to read some from. Okay, the it's called the small girl who lives ne- the small girl who lives next door. Um, and it's it's about a small parky, a boy who lives next door to a small Māori girl, and she says Kiora every morning on the way to school and kakite on the way home. Um, and he starts asking her um, where she learned to speak like that and, and she points him uh, uh, in different directions and he goes off and, and follows the direction. So I'll pick up the story sort of three quarters of the way through the book. The next day, Jack spoke to the two birds building their nest. Ko te manu e kaiana i te miro, no nā te ngāhere. Ko te manu e kaiana i te mātauranga, no nā te ao, whistled the two birds. Where did you learn to speak like that? asked Jack. The two birds stared at each other. One looked right, the other turned left. From the green land stretching out, they sang. Each one pointed in a different direction. Jack looked down at his feet. I pānia taku kiri. Ki te tō mai rangi e tūturu nei ki te whenua, whispered the grass between his toes. Where did you learn to speak like that? asked Jack. From the great mountain looking down, echoed the Greenland softly. The next day Jack spoke to the great mountain looking down. Whaia e koe te iti kahurangi ki te tū oho koe. Me maunga teitei, said the great mountain. Where did you learn to speak like that? asked Jack. The great mountain smiled. From the small girl who lives next door, he said, rubbing his great stone chin. And then it goes on, it's around a few corners. <laughs> well, it is a journey. I mean, at the end, there's this kind of a map as well, and a spoiler alert required. And I, I guess that's what you're saying. You know, it's that starting, that those first tentative steps to learn te reo Māori, and then the the directions that you can take and the help that's that's given, if you seek it, to learn the language. It's a beautiful, um, quite personal book, I would say. Tell me about the illustrator, because you say in the back of the book, Glenn, that you wish you could draw. <laughs> so it's a beautiful <laughs> illustrated book. So how did you two come to work together? Um, so Rotini is a fantastic young illustrator who studied design, and this is her first children's picture book. She works at um, the Māori Land Film Festival, and... Um, uh, Libby Hakaraya, who who runs the festival, 
I went to Libby and said, do you know, and I'd struggled with illustrators for a while. <laughs> um, and, and I actually wrote the text of the book years ago and, and then was looking for illustrators and, but Libby pointed me in the direction of Rotini and yeah, she's just really inhabited the story and made it pop up into 3D in the way that a picture book should. So just really grateful for, to be able to work with her really. Well, and, well, and envious, you know, envious. <laughs> <laughs> drawers and singers you know poets we hate them they can do what we can't <laughs> <laughs> i mean that, that relationship wow. between an illustrator and a writer as you say it can be difficult there can be kind of uh you know forced marriages by by publishers so lovely for you to have the freedom to go and search but what's it added to the story to you you've, you've known the story glenn as you say you wrote it a little while ago but to see what Rotini brings to it you know has that en enriched it for you yeah and i think the way I put it, I mean, for me, you know, getting old and grey now, you don't really want a picture book to be one wide flowing river, like the Manawatu River snaking its way. Um, you want it to be a, a, a South Island river, a braided river. You want the illustrations to tell a story and you want the text to tell a story and they swing apart, come back together, swing apart, they weave so that there's two stories that rhyme in a sense or hold tension and release in the book. So, but Otini's told, so there's things happening in the illustrations. There's, there's, I wanted to write a book without a glossary too. So one of the real problems was how do we put a translation of the te reo elements um, in the book without having a glossary or making it like a teaching book. So Rotini was able to see the English translations into the into the um, it, into the pictures so they become part of the landscape. And um, so there's little puzzles to solve like where's the translation of that floating in the picture? Um, so I think the, the the pictures tell a story, the text tells a story, they overlap, but they also swing apart at times, if that makes sense. And it's 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 that collaboration to try and get it just right. Um, you were with the publisher Roger Steele, Glenn, for many years, starting with those much-loved poetry collections, Playing God, for example. It's reminding everybody the 2000 Montana Book Award winner. Uh, and when Roger retired from publishing last year, you could have found another publisher keen to take you on, no doubt. So why go down the self-publishing route? Um, well, you know, I am... <laughs> I'm always a South Auckland boy, and, you know, I probably... I probably don't think any other publisher wants to take me on board. I think, oh, no one will want me. Um, but also, I just, you know, I'd, I've been writing quite continuously for years and putting stop manuscripts aside. So I'd sort of stockpiled half a dozen manuscripts and sort of thought it was time to do something about them. And I think I, I just got old and grumpy and just thought, oh, rather do this myself and it gives me control and freedom a bit like an independent filmmaker and I got over the hang-up of self-publishing you know because when I was a young writer there's and even now I come across that attitude a bit that if you self-publish somehow there's a vanity in that um, but I I just I thought actually I'd rather just control the whole process myself with um, really good expert people alongside me, design people, editors, uh, get the usual people in and not back my own opinion or untest my own 
work, um, but I'd rather control those conversations myself. And 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 then I went. I I was at a festival and I heard Debbie McCauley, um, the librarian and children's writer, who's written some smackingly great books, um, talk about self-publishing and. And she had a librarian's focus on it and it was like, here's how to do it. And um, and it was like a sign from the gods that it was it was worth having a crack at. And I don't I don't do it to build a publishing empire. It's just a a way of exhibiting my work really and getting it out there. But Nothing wrong with a publishing empire, Glenn. We've just got a couple of minutes, so I would for those listening sure. to this who have been thinking about self-publishing, what are what are a couple of maybe the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way? Um, oh, I think it's that the making of a book is also a creative act. You know, I thought it would mire me in detail and take away from the creativity of writing text. Um, or composing, but it hasn't. It complements it. It's like I feel like my pop out in the shed making a small piece of furniture, um, which is what a book in the hand is, and it, it, it feels like a small piece of craft to get right. So I think having that attitude towards it is that you're making, you know, I'm still old enough to love the book in the hand. I mean, it's the ultimate form for for published work for me rather than online stuff. and. So I think taking that attitude towards it and the same things count, you know, trying to be honest with things, trying uh, and being fussy and um, when you think you're finished, start again and, you know, or you're only halfway, just just being exacting but at the same time uh, have, have uh, maintained the ability to play and to imagine, I think. Um, it's been fun. I yeah, um, and I've learned heaps of information um, about books that I would never have otherwise known. And I've had really good people to help me and guide me. So I need to say too that if people want to get hold of the books, they're in bookshops. And um, but otherwise, to go on 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 the website because um, I have to do these things now because I have to sell the things. <laughs> very, <laughs> which is the very most well awkward done. <laughs> part, which is the most awkward part of publishing. It's got, God, I've got to sell them to more than my mum. We've got so the details up on our webpage. We've got the details up on our yeah, webpage, great. Glenn, for listeners. No, thank you so much. And um, uh, Michael sent a text to say, I was in tears listening to Glenn telling his story. So um, you really hit a nerve. Beautiful books. Now, both The Small Girl Who Lives Next Door and uh, Glenn's poetry collection, Letters to Young People, are published by Old King Press.